Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. If you love Jesus, would you shout amen this morning? It's good to be in the house. Living God, we're glad that you're here. And um, I have made the statement over the last few weeks that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. And now that it's passed, uh, whew, now that it's passed, I'm a few pounds heavier. And, uh, and now we enter my favorite season of the year which is the end of fall. I love the fall season as all the colors, the trees are changing. You know, the, we were just noticing today driving down the road and you have the, the beautiful, colorful snowflakes of the leaves falling off of the branches onto the road. And it's just a beautiful time, isn't it? And we have good weather. And as the, the weather begins to cool off and, and now we enter the Christmas season, this is my favorite season of the year because something special happens in the Christmas season. And I want to preach this morning about the Christmas spirit. There is truly a Christmas spirit, and that's why there are songs that say it's the most wonderful time of the year. There's something to that. And so the question that I want to ask you this morning, what is the Christmas spirit? What is that exactly? Is it just, is it the warm and familiar feeling of gathering with Loved ones at, at holiday uh, celebrations? Is it, a, is it a, a flickering fire in a fireplace? Is it the uh, anticipation and joy of seeing a child receiving a gift that you purchased for them? Is it, uh, is it Bing Crosby singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? What, what is the Christmas spirit? And why is it such a remarkable time of the year. And I, I think as we turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we can find uh, at least a partial definition of what the Christmas spirit is, what it should be for us, and what it was that God accomplished for the world by sending his son to the earth on our behalf. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins to uh, tell us what it means that Jesus came to earth on our behalf. And that is truly what Christmas season is all about. Christmas season is not just about trees and gifts and decorations and poinsettias and, uh, and choo-choo trains and snowflakes and uh, all of the, uh, you know, the commercialism that ramps up to 11 at this time. Christmas season is about Christ. And that's the attention of the Apostle Paul in our scripture that I want you to take careful notice of. And it's we're, since we're still early in the season, we have a chance today to steer our hearts in the right direction for the rest of this month. And as, uh, as we do that, I want you to take careful notice as we read this scripture from Philippians 
chapter 2, we're going to read through verse 11. Stick with me for a few moments this morning. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That, I think, is the opposite of the Christmas spirit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. What is that name? Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on the earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we come by the precious blood this morning. We thank thank you for the opportunity at this Christmas season we thank you, God, that we can come together to be reminded of the true spirit of Christmas. And God, that we would reflect that in our lives, that we would identify uh, what is truly the heart of the Christmas season and the Christmas spirit. And God, that you would help us this morning to see clearly our own hearts and that we, God, would be tender towards you what you have for us. We give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say... Amen. Let's begin then. This is a message I've titled, The True Christmas Spirit. And first I want to begin by examining, it's often uh, helpful for us to examine the contrast. What is the opposite of the Christmas spirit so that we can know what is the true Christmas spirit? And I want to uh, begin by looking at this anti-Christmas spirit. Spirit, And I believe it is rooted in the, the problems that the Apostle Paul was dealing with in this ancient church in the city today, a Turkish city of Philippi. And so we can read very easily that uh, he's dealing with some conflict, with some, uh, with some division and some schism that is happening in the church. Uh, it's a good thing that there's no division or schism happening in our world today. Because if there was, what we could really use is a Christmas spirit. Oftentimes, the anti-Christmas, or maybe we could say the anti-Christ spirit, is the spirit of division. There is such a thing as, as, uh, as holy mathematics. When God seeks to add, God seeks to multiply. But the enemy of, of God, the enemy of our souls, he always seeks to subtract and to divide. And the arithmetic of heaven is to add and multiply. The arithmetic of hell is always to divide. Because he understands, just like, just like in any conquest, in any uh, military campaign, if, if the enemy can keep us divided, 
if he can keep us separated, if he can keep us away from one another, even through anger, through politics, even through relationships. Uh, How many know there's a thousand things seeking to divide us as a church, as a people, as families, and as a society? And so what we have in our scripture, Paul is using a classic logical argument, an if-then statement. Did you catch it? He said, first of all, if there is any consolation in Christ. That word consolation is an interesting word because it's the same Greek word that is used to describe the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the paraclesis, the comforter, Jesus called him. That he said, it is good for you if I go away because I want to send to you the paraclete, the comforter, the one who will come to remind you about me, to give you uh, understanding and revelation, the one who comes to give comfort and solace when you are being persecuted or when you are in times of depression or fear or anxiety. Aren't you glad we have a Holy Spirit? That He comes to dwell in our hearts. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He says, if this is true, if there is any consolation or comfort in Christ, if there is a fellowship of the Spirit, if all of these things actually have happened in your life, then there ought to be a result. And listen to his statement. What, it, what does he say? If all of these things, verse 2, then fulfill my joy. Make me happy as a pastor and a leader by doing what? By being like-minded. By having the same love. By being of one accord. And so what we see here is the, the beginning of understanding what is the, what I believe the Christmas spirit. The spirit of Christ coming into our lives, into the world, is that instead of division, instead of strife, instead of depression, anxiety, anger, warring, and hatred toward one another, how many know Jesus came to be our Prince of Peace? Jesus comes to renew and refresh the relationship between you and heaven so that then you can renew and refresh relationships between you and other people. Now, I know nobody in here holds a grudge. I know nobody in here ever gets angry at other people. I know nobody in here have family problems of people done you wrong. It's a good thing because, uh, because uh, I'll save that message for another church. The truth is this morning that we all, how many know, you live life for about five minutes, you're going to get wronged. People are going to speak bad about you. People are going to act wrong about you. They're going to make assumptions about you that are not true. They're going to misrepresent the way you think, you feel. That there are, there are people who seek to do evil against us. And the quick temptation, the, the natural instinct when somebody speaks or does evil against us, is to seek retribution. Is to try to get our pound of flesh as a result. After all, that's what they deserve. Isn't that right? And what Paul is saying, if all of these things are true, if you have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus has done a miracle in your life, if you have had a, 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 an encounter with a living God, if he has given you, if he has come from heaven to earth into your life, then we ought to see 
a radical change. See, this is the problem with many, uh, with many uh, uh, modern Christian teachings and many churches in the world. I don't like to cut down other churches and things like that. But what I do see is that there is an anti-conversion theology. What I mean by that is that we want to welcome you in. We want, we want everybody to come, uh, and just as you are, and yes, we believe Jesus can receive us just as we are. He died for us just as we are. Thank God for that. That while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. But what we have to recognize this morning is that when Christ died for us, He died to change us. And the idea that I can come to church and sit in a chair, the idea that I can that I, I can name Christ as my Savior and still live in sin, that doesn't work. To when when, when Jesus uh, had the encounter with uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, I love what he said to her. He showed grace to her. Right? She had been caught in the act of adultery, doing wrong, and what he said to her was. Uh, where are your accusers, right? He, he, he performed this great miracle so that the accusers that wanted to kill her all walked away one by one. He did a miracle to save her from certain judgment, right? That's what Jesus does for us. But then he made a statement to her. He said, go and sin no more. Stop sinning. What there, that Jesus, he still calls us to redemption, healing, forgiveness, all of those things that we love, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But he also says, go and stop sinning. Stop living the way that you used to live. Your flesh, uh, led by the, uh, the, the, the evil dictates of your sinful natural desires. Stop living like that. And the good news is, you don't have to do it on your own. That he sends the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. And one of the marks of a changed life is unity. Being together of the same mind. The word in the original language to agree together. To cherish and love the same views. To be harmonious. How many love to hear good harmonies in music? One of the things that we love is to, to hear uh, the, the melody being sung by three or four harmonies, right? This is uh, like the, the group Pentatonics. They, they're incredible at their harmonies. Uh, uh, this acapella group and one singing the melody, but then adding another voice and another voice. And pretty soon you have this perfect chord of harmonies moving throughout the song. And it sounds incredible. Oftentimes, if, uh, if we could hear what the church sounds like it wouldn't sound like a a perfect harmony if we could hear what's happening inside the hearts of god's people it would sound more like somebody banging on the piano like this it would sound dissonant it would sound disarrayed it can be like that in a family too how many know you come home and try to have a family dinner maybe you experience this at your thanksgiving dinner and it sounds like somebody sitting on the keyboard trying to play a song That's because everyone is of a different mind, of a different spirit. But what God wants to produce in us is he wants to produce each person playing their part. And just like like your body this morning, if, if if your brain began to lose control of your various body parts, and all of a sudden one hand is doing one thing, and one foot is doing another thing, pretty soon you are immobilized, you're paralyzed. 
And in the same way, Jesus, his body, if, he, if we are going to accomplish something for his kingdom, we have to come together under his authority and his leadership. And you can't have one hand saying to the other hand, what are you doing? You can't have a foot saying to the nose, uh, you better quit doing that. We have to be of one mind. And this, I think, will help us to define what is this Christmas spirit all about. How many parents, you have children in this place, more than one child. Isn't it the worst when your children are fighting with each other? Doesn't it just bring a a dismay to your soul? Like, you guys are brothers and sisters. If there's anybody in the world you should get along with, it's you people. You live in the same house, you eat the same food, you even look the same, right? Yeah, everybody bears this family resemblance, and yet what is it? Constant bickering in the house. I don't know about you, that drives me up the wall. Don't you think there's a God, a Father in heaven, who looks down at his people and looks down at his church, and he's saying, I've bought you all with the blood of my precious son, Jesus And you are all bearing the same family resemblance. You're attending services together. You're reading the same word together, learning about me. And yet, does the father only see constant bickering in his house? Don't you think that would drive the father crazy? So what is this anti-Christmas spirit? I believe we can find it. It is division. A divided mind is a defeated mind. A divided nation is a defeated nation. A divided church is a defeated church. He says, you are divided. Let nothing be done then through selfish ambition or conceit. This also helps us to define what is the anti-Christmas or anti-Christ spirit. Selfish ambition or or conceit. This is the idea of self-promotion. The word in the Greek is kenodoxia, which is vain glory. Glory that is empty. Glory that is self-imposed. And what better definition do we have of a self-promoting uh, generation than social media, which has given us the platform to do nothing except show everybody else how awesome I am. And it's interesting, you never post photos of you when you don't look good. You don't post photos, you know, when you get a flat tire and you're all angry and got grease on your face. You know, you never post, you never post. Uh, I, I'm amazed on Instagram, especially, man, oh, the, the, the view that you see of people is like this, this view of perfection. Let me just, you know, some people who don't post except two or, two or three or, or maybe once a month or something, and it's the best moment of the month. And there it is, one, uh, and everybody's like, wow, like, subscribe, heart, everything. And, and all that is, beloved, that is a spirit of self-promotion, vain glory. What you really ought to do is take a picture of yourself first thing in the morning before you've put on makeup. Post that because that's the truth. <laughs> that's who you really are, right? Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, 
On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. But we don't do that because why? We are promoting ourselves. Paul is saying, when you act in selfish ambition, in conceit, this is an antichrist and therefore an anti-Christmas spirit. Selfishness. You know, I don't, uh, I don't th- foresee a time when selfishness will not be a problem. It's still an issue. And in fact, in our generation, uh, it seems uh, like it's, it's becoming uh, a pandemic, a pandemic of selfishness, where we have, uh, for the last year and a half, we viewed people, not as people, but as vectors of transmission. Stay an arm's length away from me, because i got to watch out for me. And I'm not, of course, I'm not saying <laughs> all of the things. That's a serious disease. We have to be careful. But what I am saying this morning is if, if we're not careful, we can sink into a mentality of, I need to take care of me first. So there was this uh, great story in Greek mythology about a guy named Narcissus. Narcissus. And he was a hunter who was renowned for his physical beauty. And he was exceptionally proud. And one day as he was out hunting, he was attracted to a pool of water. Where he peered into that water, it was very still, and saw his own reflection. And as he gazed at his reflection... He fell in love with it, not realizing that it was merely an image of himself. And unable to leave the beauty of his own reflection, he died there by the side of the water. Perfect picture of of selfish mentality. A gaze at myself until I die. And the, uh, the story goes that as he died there, a little plant grew up in his place where his body was. And that's where we get the, the term narcissism. It means... Uh, it means a fixation with oneself. And uh, f- coming from the Greek word narke, which means to sleep or being numb. Numb to the world around. It's an obsession with self that can become a drug that puts you to sleep and leads you to death. How many know this is so opposite from what Christ does in our lives? What Christ says is you are corrupt. Christianity says that you are cursed by sin, so don't look to yourself for the answers. The Eastern philosophy says, peer inside yourself until you discover the greatest truth. Christianity says, uh, there ain't nothing in there but wickedness. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
The biblical worldview says if you're going to find salvation, you've got to find a Savior. Can't find it in here. It's got to be out there. A mark of the anti-Christmas, anti-Christian spirit of the world is an obsession with self. An obsession with, uh, with self-promotion. And listen, what we, what we have to be careful of is that this invades the church. This invades many, uh, many places where, where churches begin to cater and pamper every believer. Where, you know, oh, you know, it's okay. You don't have to wake up early. You know, you don't have to uh, be uncomfortable. We're going to have it nice and everything's going to be wonderful. Just, just come in your flip-flops, man, in your swimming trunks and everybody's going to be comfortable. And, uh, and you don't, need to, don't even need to bring your Bible to church anymore because guess what? We'll put it up on the big screen. So that everybody can easily read it together. You know what? I, t- I told our AV team, I was like, hey, because uh, there was a time we used to put the Bible scriptures up on the screen. And they said, Pastor, you want to keep doing it? I said, no. Why? Because people ought to be able to find scriptures by themselves. You ought to be able to go home and look up the, the book of Philippians. And when we put it up on the big screen, it's like, man, I never even have to carry a Bible anymore. I can say, Google, open Philippians 2. And what happens is when this invades the church, it can result in a narcissistic church. As we gaze at ourselves and are so impressed with all the things that we do. And really, it's just, a, uh, it, it taints our worship. It takes, it takes the mighty God and replaces him with ourselves. And I think this is an anti-Christmas, anti-Christian mentality. So my daughter... She doesn't like when I preach about her, so thankfully she's in the children's church this morning. But she, uh, this, this uh, past week, she had been reading the, the, uh, the Christmas Carol, a f- famous story that's been made into movies, you know, uh, Charles Dickens. And uh, so we got to watch it together as a family earlier this week. And uh, it's such a great story, classic story. I highly recommend it. Uh, even if you've seen it before, you should watch it again. And we have the classic example of Ebenezer Scrooge. And when we first meet him at the beginning of the story, uh, his heart is cold. And you remember the, uh, the men come from the, uh, from the charity and they're going around to different businesses asking for donations so that they can feed the poor and the hungry at the Christmas season. And uh, what is Ebenezer's uh, famous response? He says, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? He said, no, no, sir, no, there still are. And he says, well, why don't they go there? I pay my taxes to support those institutions. And he said, well, some people, some people would rather die to go to those places. And he says, well, uh, they had better do it quickly and decrease the surplus population. And his heart is cold toward other people. Can you see that he is so focused on his, his profit? He is so focused on his own life, he cannot see the needs of others. His, uh, his employee, Bob Cratchit, as he's finishing the day on Christmas Eve, and he's, he looks at him and he says, I suppose you're going to want all day off tomorrow. Well, it is just Christmas. It only comes once a year, sir. And his quote was, uh, a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. He says, be here all the earlier the next morning. He doesn't care about Bob's family, doesn't care about Bob's situation, doesn't care about uh, uh, what's happening in his house. All he's worried about is his bottom line. We don't want to find ourselves in Ebenezer Scrooge, but guess what? We can all find ourselves. 
I don't care about other. Uh, let, let them worry about their own problems. I've got my own to worry about. If we want to know what the Christmas spirit truly is, then we have to examine the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he does is he says in verse 5, the Apostle Paul, he says, let this mind be in you. And so in contrast to this anti-Christmas spirit, this spirit of selfishness and division that we get from the world, in contrast to that, let me show you what you really ought to be like. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he says, we ought to think like the Lord Jesus. The same mind that was in him can be in us. That we can think the same kind of thoughts. That we can uh, have the same kind of feelings and emotions that he did. And what did Christ Jesus think about? Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Oh, he, Jesus, he, 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 he had all that he needed. What, what I mean by that is that uh, he was qualified to be God. He is qualified to be God. He lived a perfect and pure and sinless life. Jesus, uh, when he comes again, he will come as the conquering king. How many understand that? He will come on the, uh, riding on a white horse to take his place as king of the universe. That is the same Jesus that showed up in the manger 2,000 years ago. And what I'm saying is what Paul says here, verse 7, this amazing God who was equal with God, this amazing Christ that we knew, he says, he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of men. The Apostle Paul is giving us the example of what the Christian or what the Christmas spirit truly looks like and that is humiliation. And when I mean that, I don't mean embarrassment. I mean humility. That this amazing God of the universe humbled himself and came in the form of a servant. He who had the greatest of all reputations made himself of no reputation. He who, was, uh, he who existed in divine power for all eternity, and yet he came in the likeness of men with all of the limitations that come along with that. And the King of kings, the Lord of lords, born in a barn, so powerfully displayed in that film we saw on Friday night, where here's Joseph scooping up so that you can make room for Mary to give birth to the Son of God. If there is anyone who's ever worthy of glory, honor, power, and praise, it is Jesus. And yet, He dismantled His glory. He humbled Himself and was born in a barn. Verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled or He emptied Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, he takes it on himself. What I love about Jesus is he never asks you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. When he says, humble yourself, he showed it to us first. 
When he says, uh, uh, display a humble and a lowly spirit, guess what? He says, I'll show you how to do that. And here's Jesus who comes down from heaven, born in a manger to a couple of peasants in a backwater country town that nobody heard of before when he should have had all the glory that the world could give to him. And that, I would say, is the spirit of Christmas. It's the spirit of humility, selflessness, emptying yourself for the sake of others. It is found in the incredible generosity that people display at this time of the year. And many people who give anonymous donations of large quantity to causes that they believe in. And why do they do that? I'm not doing this to gain any glory, but simply because I want other people to find help. One of the projects that we were involved with earlier uh, this week is a project that is uh, done by the Samaritan's Purse. This is the Billy Graham's uh, foundation that he started that helps people all around the world. And one of the things they do every year is this shoebox donation. And so you fill a shoebox with all, all these little toys and little things uh, uh, that is going to go to another child somewhere around the world for Christmas. It's a wonderful program. And so it's even in third world countries where people don't have a lot, and so we, we got a shoebox, and we bought some toys, and we put it together, and we, we brought it to the little drop-off location, and with a little note in there, uh, Merry Christmas to you, and you know, you have to get these things ready uh, six weeks in advance, because they're going to take that and fly it to some third world nation. And just to, to think of a little child who has nothing, and barely has enough to eat, opening your gift on Christmas morning, I don't know about you, but that, that fills me with some joy. That, that's the Christmas spirit is, is uh, you know, it, it brings joy to my soul to know that another human being is blessed on Christmas morning. And it helps us much more than it would ever help those little children. Another program that we are involved in is, uh, as a church, we, 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 uh, we actually support a, um, uh, uh, another child. And so this is, um, this is Compassion International, which I would highly recommend. Anybody here, you can look into it. Compassion International is a, is a great charity. And what they do is you can pay a certain amount every month, and, uh, and by this monthly donation, you can supply the, the daily needs for a child in a, in a desperate situation. And so we have a little child that we adopted, I think, about five years ago now. And so our church, we, we support this child. Her name is Uwaisi. She lives in Rwanda. She speaks a different language. She, uh, you know, she, uh, she comes from a very different background. And yet every month uh, we send some money so that she can, she can be fed well. She has medical care. She is educated well. And, uh, and you know, we get, these, uh, we get these letters back from her. And it's incredible because they're written in, uh, in her language, I believe it's some form of Swahili. And, uh, and so, but then there's an English translation, so we can read it. And it's amazing because, you know, I, I barely think about this often. You know, I, in my mind, you know, she's far away, never, you know. But, but she writes this letter, and it brings me to tears almost every single time. Because she says, thank you, dear family, for caring for my needs. And what may be a small sacrifice on our part, $38 a month or whatever it is, as a church, we, we do that. Uh, and for us, it's, it doesn't do that much, right? Like, that's not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But for her, for her, it's everything. 
the difference between life and death, between poverty and having enough. And I want to encourage you. This is the spirit of Christ moving in us. It is emptying ourselves for the sake of others. The real spirit of Christmas is not found in what we get. That's the childish mentality, isn't it? The childish mentality says we're going to run to the Christmas tree at 7 a.m. Christmas morning and see what did I get this year. That's what children do. But as we begin to have the mind of Christ, what we find is that there's more joy in giving than there is in receiving. As a parent, there's no greater joy. A couple of years back, we had probably the best Christmas that I can remember when uh, we, as a, as a surprise gift to our children, we bought tickets to Disneyland, something that we'd always wanted to do together as a family, something that we would never normally do, but uh, we were able to make some, something happen. And, uh, and that morning when they opened up, the, the first gift that they opened up was a set of, uh, of Mickey Mouse ears. And then the very next one was a little envelope and opened it up and there was four tickets to Disneyland. And can I tell you that there's almost nothing that has brought me so much joy than seeing my children being so excited at the anticipation of this amazing trip that we were going to go to. It was truly a blessing. And I found what we ought to find in the Christmas spirit. It is truly better to give than to receive. Now let's close by looking at the consequences of a life of generosity and selflessness. Verse 9. What did Jesus receive as a result of this kind of life? It says, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess. In other words, God rewards the selfless spirit. God rewards the Christmas spirit. Now, it should be that generosity is its own gift. Generosity and selflessness, you begin to find joy simply in the act of being selfless. But there's more to it. That God looks down and when he sees a people, when he sees a church, when he sees a family that is exhibiting this selfless Christmas spirit, emptying of myself so that another can be blessed. When God sees that, he says, yes, yes, I will bring a reward here. I will exalt. I will give that person a name. I will give that family a reputation. I will show them my blessing extreme humility will result in extreme exaltation. I think about heaven. How many of y'all think about heaven sometimes? In eternity. And the things that will be important there that are not important here. And people who will be important people there, how many know are not the same as important people here? Important people on the earth, you know, people who have reputations and, you know, big pastors and people who have their name and lights. You know, I often think that in heaven, those people will be nobodies. But in heaven, I think the people who will be famous, the people who have greater crowns and authority and glory on their lives. uh, Obviously, Jesus has all the glory, but those who will be rewarded, the ones who will be famous, the ones who will be rulers and exalted by God. Probably today, those people are janitors. 
you know, minimum wage workers at Burger King, people who, you know, uh, don't have uh, any notoriety, and yet simple people who simply believe God and pour themselves out for the sake of others. I'm amazed many times that, uh, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year and it's, it's, uh, it's time for uh, our giving reports and we can, we can examine how much we gave throughout the year to the kingdom of God. And I'm amazed as pastor, you know, I, I, I sign those sheets and, and we, we hand them out. And I don't do this to spy on people, but sometimes I'm amazed. People that I know who have great hardships in their life. People who I know struggle to pay their bills, and yet I see their giving report, and it, the numbers that I see oftentimes surprise me. And yet then, it, 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 then I'm not surprised because I know how blessed those people are, how close they are to Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 19.30, Many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. When we say Merry Christmas, that's what we're saying. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, emptied himself to be born in a barn. And what we must exhibit also is a willingness to empty ourselves so that others can prosper. This is the mark of a mature faith, isn't it? To be able to pour ourselves out for the sake of others. To think about other people when they're in need. To pray for people, even when we've got needs ourselves. To serve others and help those in need, even when we have our own needs. I think about Jesus as we close, displaying this, even in his last final moments on, the, on earth. He's hanging on the cross, and he's in extreme pain. Not only the pain of physical torture, his back being shredded by the cat of nine tails, crown of thorns, nails in his hands and his feet, all of the pain that would be associated. He's dying of thirst and lack of blood. And as he's hanging on the cross, there's a thief next to him, a thief who deserves to be there. And he sees how Jesus is being treated by all of these uh, wicked Pharisees who are mocking him and cursing him, right? And the thief on the cross makes a statement Son of man, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus could have said, shut up, I'm trying to die over here. I've got my own problems, don't you see? Why don't you suffer in silence? Jesus didn't do that. He said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. He's giving comfort and ministry even while he's dying and bleeding out. And what about us? Sometimes we often, we use, we use our circumstances and the pain as an excuse for why I can't be useful to God. Let us remember in this Christmas season, and now more than ever, the Christmas spirit ought to live in us that even if we are in pain ourselves, that we can still be a blessing to others. And so do that. This, this month, I challenge you, as we see in our Savior that we ought to humble ourselves, we ought to em- empty ourselves, and allow God to raise us up. That, this is the natural result. This is what our Father in heaven loves to do, that at, when we begin to live like our Savior, that he will also exalt us and lift us up, and he will give us the strength that we need. 
I challenge you in this Christmas season to be filled with that Christmas spirit of selflessness and sacrifice and humility, seeking for ways that I can be a blessing to others. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes as we bring this service to an end. And as God... Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.